Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many people say that music is a universal language. If that's the case, I would like to use music as a platform to talk about health. My name is Dr. Moshe Lewis, and I'm a full-time practicing physician who loves music and the way it affects our brains, our bodies, and our well-being. We'll be discussing topics that affect all of us, from mental health to body image, cancer screening to stroke. Our health is truly our greatest asset. Hopefully, these discussions will improve the health of our community. Welcome to Film and Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Moshe Lewis. I am so excited today to be joined by Ms. Judy Pace, stage actress, screen actress, film, TV, you name it, she's done it. Um, outstanding award, image award for best daytime actress in a drama series. You saw her in Brian's song, um, and that's why we really wanted to talk to her because the show's called Film and Medicine, and, and I just want to start there. In the beginning, I heard, and it may mm -hmm. not be true, that All there right. was a small health issue that then got you into modeling, because you were in college and on a different path. It wasn't a small health issue. Mm -hmm. It was a major health issue. Mm -hmm. um, as a kid, uh, they discovered that I had a problem with my leg. Mm. And I was taken and placed into the orthopedic hospital right. for children. I was there for over three months wow. with surgery, right. uh, there was something wrong with the growth plate mm, okay. of one of my legs. Right, and so now, maybe there was like an imbalance? No, it wasn't acting, it wasn't mm. growing, it wow. wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. Wow. Um, so it was, it was far more serious than I knew it was as a kid. Sure. I'm like in right. second yeah. grade, right. first grade, that kind of situation. And um, I was there and they would give me drugs and I hated right. the drugs and it was wow. awful. I couldn't play. Right. Um, my mother and dad and everybody would come and sometimes I couldn't go down and greet them. I had to look out the window and wave at them. It was just, it was awful. Wow. And then the fear of thinking I might have one leg mm -hmm. shorter right. than the other leg. Right, right. Which is what they were doing all this for. <laughs> to make sure that did not happen. Yeah, right. So after a couple of surgeries, I was finally able to go home, but we had this ritual. Mm -hmm. I had to come and be checked every four months to see if the leg was growing. Uh, well, thank God, sure. God <laughs> Almighty, the leg grew. Hello, hello, hello. I mean, the thought of having that was just like, oh my God, oh my God. Once that was settled, mm -hmm. that's when I wanted to be a model. Sure, and, and is that what inspired it? That, okay, now. No, my, my sister, I have two absolutely beautiful sisters. 
Uh, one is named Jean Pace, okay. or Jean Pace Brown, mm -hmm. and the other is named Betty Pace. My sister Jean was married to Oscar Brown Jr. Okay. She's a singer and a dancer and just drop dead gorgeous. Stop yeah. traffic. I've actually yourself. seen her drop, uh, stop traffic. I think it runs in the family. I, I don't know about all that. Sure. My mama was cute too. Uh, get you everywhere. <laughs> and my, um, my sister Betty mm -hmm. decided she didn't like dancing, she didn't like singing, but she sure. wanted to do something exciting, so she was going to be the model. Mm, okay. And so she started taking classes and coming right. home and showing me what to do and what not to do and all right. of that. And then she said, oh, this is so boring. Yeah. Right. She decided to become an exec with the city. Sure. Okay, so that's what she did. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And right. just by chance, this was around the time when Ebony Fashion Fair right. it was, was going, and Ebony Fashion Fair was like just the buzz of right. the buzz of the right. buzz. It was the, of, bomb. It was the <laughs> bomb, darling. It was the bomb. Yeah. And uh, they didn't have anyone from the West Coast. Mm. Actually, they didn't have anyone west of Chicago. Right. And anyone who had your skin tone, because that was a really big thing. Well, skin tone. <laughs> What do you mean skin tone? You mean chocolate? Well, sure. Is that what you're talking really about? Black. Real chocolate? I mean, weren't they sort of airing a little bit towards well, lighter I, than that? Um, let's just say this. If you were a model, mm -hmm. I have a I have a term for certain things you this is my this is my my this is my title. Sure. It's called color coded mm -hmm. casting. I love it. Uh -huh. Colored coding casting is if it's supposed to be pretty, right. it's either going to be white. Or it's going to be light. Mm, there was no chocolate in the mix. Right, never, never put into <laughs> there was the formula. No chocolate. So I think they had one brown skin model at the time, mm -hmm. and um, I was able to um, go to the audition sure. because one of my girlfriend's mothers mm -hmm. was a member of the organization that would bring the Ebony Fashion Fair to. Um, Los Angeles, yeah. and her name was Marilyn McCoo sure, of the sure. Fifth Dimension. Right, yes. so I know she was going to yes. go and be a singer, and sure. I was going to go be a model, and right. then finally was like, I'm going to be a model and be an actress and be on TV and make movies. <laughs> sure. It just kept on. <laughs> people kept saying that. to my mom, you need to talk to that sure. girl. She don't know what she's talking sure. about. She's not going to get married till she's 30. Wow. And she's going to be an actress and be a movie star. And right. my mom said, she's in California. She can sure. be anything she wants to be. And my dad used to call us. There was three of us. Mm -hmm. I was deep chocolate. Sure. My sister Jean was a little caramel. Sure. And my sister Betty was just, just right Betty. brown. Right. Sure. <laughs> so he would just always tell us we were beautiful. And sure. we, we believed him. Sure, right. And but, but then reality would happen when you got out in the world and got out of the house. Right, <laughs> you sure. know? And we talked a little bit about that in terms of just growing up. Your upbringing and where you grew up was very different. Uh, uh, Jewish community, Asian community, and also yes. just maybe yourself only being the black community. Uh -huh. It was, when you're doing it, you don't realize how unique it is. Mm -hmm. uh, we knew it was different, but we didn't know how unique it was. Uh, my mom and dad are from Jackson, Mississippi. And they had great imaginations and great courage and sure. what they want to they're gonna do. One thing they were gonna do, they weren't gonna raise their children in Jim Crow. Mm, okay. So they were getting the hell out of Jackson, Mississippi sure. as quickly as they could. Right. And this is a, just to put a time frame on it. We're 1950s. talking nineteen I'm 80. How do you think that is? <laughs> uh, this you is my 80. So my 80 is this year. It's one I of thought those... it was your 62nd year. See, they gave me bad notes. Oh, okay. You're so kind. So. Anyway, <laughs> you're so kind. Um, they were from Jackson, Mississippi. We're talking 1934. Sure. Okay. 1934. Uh, I'm, I'm there were there were hardly any brown people outside of the South at that time, mm. and they called, started the Great Migration and all of right. that. Uh, but they wanted to come 
<laughs> they wanted to be as far away wow. from the South as, as they, they could, could possibly be. Yeah. So they would jokingly say, we, we ran and we ran and we ran, escaping Jackson, Mississippi, and we ran into this ocean. <laughs> right, so we hit the water and couldn't go anymore. <laughs> couldn't go any farther. <laughs> so that's why we're here. And we would say, oh, oh, daddy, we're so glad you guys right. ran, right, <laughs> ran right. and got here. My dad was, was actually brilliant, and I know mm -hmm. people say that about their parents. And my sure. mother was absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. She was really gorgeous. Well, we can see it um, today. Oh, I know about that. Um, <laughs> and my father wanted to come out here because he mm -hmm. wanted to fly airplanes. Mm, okay. He, he just was fascinated with airplanes. Right. And my mom wanted to come out here because she wanted to design clothes for the movie stars sure. and be part of that whole situation mm -hmm. right. because Sometimes people don't realize that in slavery, mm -hmm. there were the people who picked the cotton, mm -hmm. who were out in the field, and there were the people who worked in the house. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what we had, those in the house right. and those in the field. Right. But there was a whole nother group of folks. Mm -hmm. They were called the artisans. Right. They were the cab fine cabinet makers, right. the ones who did the fine woodwork, the sure. ones who built the White House, the ones sure. who built all those mansions you see on right. those plantations, sure. which is really a wrong name for it. Sure. <laughs> we called work camps. Right. Hmm. Better word. <laughs> Not sure. plantations. Sure. Um, so my mom comes from the side where you had all the women who could weave fine fabric mm, and make beautiful gowns right. and design the gowns and bead the gowns okay. and make the dresses and make sure that the fabric stayed lovely and nice. That stuff right. wasn't coming from Paris. It right. would take eight months for anything to Just, come from Paris wow. or from Europe. Sure. They would. They were called the artisans. Mm. And my, that's where my mother comes from, the fine dressmakers, the fine designers, right. the fine fab weaving the fabric. Um, and my dad comes from those who were making and building and the masons and the carpenters and sure. the leather workers and all of those men. Sure. They would also take that group of men and send them over to Mr. Brown's house to finish his house off. Right. So I always have to let people know there were those in the field, yeah. those in the house, but there were the artisans and also the musicians and the entertainers. Yeah. Okay, so my dad never did get to learn how to play the play, fly a plane. Yeah. Uh, my mom never did get to design clothes for right. the beautiful people sure. in the, or the actors and the dancers and the singers. Sure. Um, my dad went to work for Douglas Aircraft. Mm, so and close. Douglas Aircraft, they were the ones who were designing and creating or trying to design and create the jets. Right. Jets. So <clears throat> in order to work there, you had to take a test if you were going to be a part of that group. They didn't care what color you were. Mm -hmm. They didn't care what country you came from. They just wanted you to have a lot of brains and be smart and be able to make sure that people didn't die when they test the planes. Right. Like they could crash. That's right. That's <laughs> not a good thing to come back from. Right. So um, my dad took the test and he was really, really smart. Right. And he did very well. And they made him, now remember now, we're talking 40s. Right. They made him a lead man. Mm -hmm. The scientists and the engineers said he's going to be a lead man. Right. That meant he would have at least 16 Caucasian men working right. under him. Right. And that probably created a lot of stress and tension. That uh, didn't bother him one bit. Good, okay. But dad had a great personality. He played, played a trumpet and he just loved clubs and right. everybody loved him. So that, that didn't, they knew he was smart. Right. They knew it. And so their team was going to be the best team anyway. <laughs> and so that's what he was doing. And um, my mom, 
did get to design clothes for actors and singers and dancers and she opened a ladies apparel shop right, sure. called Kitty's Boutique. Right, and it became the largest black owned ladies boutique <laughs> west of the Mississippi. Sure. Wow. That's where I met my still best friend, Nichelle Nichols from Star Trek. Yes. She designed and she was uh, Nichelle Nichols uh, a stylist right. and uh, for uh, Nancy, uh, Nancy Wilson, right. Tina Turner, um, Oscar Brown Jr. shows. Wow, People would come in. She did something very unique too. Right. She's way ahead of her time. Once a month on a Thursday night, mm -hmm. close shop at five o'clock. Okay. Okay. Folks would fly in wow. to come to the shop. Folks would drive down from San Francisco to come to the shop. They were the female impersonators. Mm, okay. <laughs> the gay guys right. would oh, come okay. and take over the shop. Really? Okay. And it was fabulous. Right. Sometimes you have to put them out. It would be 2 o'clock in the morning. Just right. go. Go. Just, and they'd be just. trying things on. And... They could not try on the regular things. Sure. Okay. She had a, she had a room in the, in the, um, at the shop where you could, it was called the Sip Sip Room. Okay. And the ladies could come and sip, sip some champagne, or they tea. could sip, sip some tea. <laughs> okay. And they might come in there <laughs> with a couple a of girlfriends, and, <laughs> and they'd be in there all day. So um, she did design for your, um, your, your actors and your stars and for Anazette Chase and for just dif different people. So she, yeah. she realized her dream, and so did my dad. Right. Um, so, um, and how did she feel about you going into the business at that level? Oh, she thought that was a wonderful idea. Oh. And then they would look at her like, Kitty, you sound a little crazy. What do you mean, this little dark-skinned child, she's going to do what? Mm. <laughs> it was that kind of situation. And tell us about some of those barriers. What was sort of you, what would you consider to be your big break? My big break? I think my big break was getting out of high school. Mm, okay. I think I was thinking <laughs> about Peyton's voice. <laughs> Being dark brown yeah. and living in a, oh, wait, 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 let me go back to something we were talking about. Okay. It, it all ties together. Uh, growing up the way I grew up, mm -hmm. with my dad being a lead man, sure. and he wanted us to have the best education possible. Right. And there was a segregated schools here in Southern California, mm -hmm. and they were segregated by your deed. Mm. The Where deeds in California, or Southern California, mm. would have a covenant. You couldn't sell your house to a Negro or a colored person. You couldn't sell your house to an Asian person. So then that meant the schools would be segregated, be an all-white neighborhood, all-white school. Because right, you get in, <laughs> you literally. Could, you could not, literally, you could not. Right. There wasn't schools. They wouldn't say, you no, you couldn't come. Right. But you don't exactly. live here. Right, exactly, right, and you can't. So my dad did what they called a straw man. Mm -hmm. He got one of his men who mm -hmm. was on his team, one of the... Right. 16 men who were on his team to gift him the house. Right. He had the money, my dad sure. had the money, gave the money to the man, he went and bought the house, and then he deeded it to my dad yes. as a yes. gift. Right. And we've talked about how my mom did the exact same <laughs> Your thing. Your mom did her the same thing. Her employer, who was an attorney, signed for her <laughs> yes, because yes. they said, with all due respect, ma'am, which isn't necessarily respect, right, you right, right. can't buy a home. So we moved into a neighborhood that was predominantly a Jewish neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I'm talking 47, 48, 49, as we were coming out of that Second World War. Sure. Um, so I was in school, me and my brother were the only persons of African descent mm -hmm. in my grammar school. Wow. Um, I was in school with 
Japanese kids mm -hmm. who had just gotten out of internment camps. Right. I was in school with the Jewish dominant persons in my class, in my, in my, in my school, who were now bringing their relatives to the mm -hmm. United States mm -hmm. out of concentration camps, mm -hmm. their uncles and cousins and, right. and grandmothers. Um, so it was, it was very interesting and they would, the, 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 the Jewish kids' parents would come to the school like mm -hmm. sometimes at recess. Right. Sure. <laughs> um, meaning their, their relatives who were coming over. They mm -hmm. wanted to see America, how, what, right. what the kids did. The Japanese kids really pretty much stayed to themselves. But each group did something that I wish my people would do. Right. <laughs> they, had, um, they had special days that they would leave school. Right. The Jewish kids would go would leave and go to the synagogue and learn all about their people right. once learn a week. They learned mm -hmm. their history. Mm -hmm. The Japanese kids would go, they were would hold their classes in the different theaters, mm -hmm. their former Japanese theaters. Right. And um, they would go and learn about their people. I think now that we are getting into a situation where they're banning books and right. can't taking out Rosa Parks' book and, sure. and the Muffet's book out of right. libraries because they don't want right. their kids to read them, I think we need to do that immediately. Sure. <laughs> we right. need really to start. On our history. Oh, yes, co true. concentrate on our history. Speaking of which, there's a key concept you like to really help us rewrite, and that's calling them the Black Renaissance film. Oh, that's a dirty word. True. No, that's a group of dirty words mm -hmm, <laughs> strung mm -hmm. together. There is a phrase that has been used to depict, talk about, or put in a shelf, or put in a book, give it a label, and it's called this phrase, black exploitation films. That's a racist term. These were brilliant people. You want to say, well, who was exploiting who? Were the actors exploiting the directors? Mm -hmm. Were we exploiting the audience? Just right. what the yeah. hell was yeah. that? Right. It because was, you're being paid. We and. were being paid, mm -hmm. but some people felt that we should be paid more. Mm -hmm. We were not going to be paid more than the other actors who were Caucasians, right. they were getting paid the sure. same thing. If you weren't Elizabeth Taylor right. or uh, one of the major stars, they had a contract system at that time. The tail end of the contract system, because it was really kind of vicious. Yeah. You would be placed under contract, not the black folks, yeah. but I'll, I'll tell you there were some exceptions. Yeah. Not the black folks, but your regular people you would see in movies before they became stars. They'd be under right. contracts. They might be making $300 a week. And then if they became a little larger under this five-year contract, mm -hmm. they could then lend them out to another studio, right. take a bunch of money, and then, here, here's your 350. Right, here, wow. <laughs> so right. That's what they did. They that's, that's what they did. Um, it, that changed. The union mm -hmm. got stronger, and, and, right. and that changed. Um, I wish it could be referred to as the black film renaissance. Yes of the 70s or the 70s black film renaissance because we made movies before the 70s. Right, right. Um, they weren't, they were shown in churches and shown in small, small theaters. Um, so I wish we could drop that phrase. Something more, more positive. Oh, more positive, please. And then with the film, because the show is called Film and Medicine, like Brian's song. Yes. This is, gripping for its time, besides the fact they've become a congressional film, because it talks about cancer, and here's a black family dealing with that. Just tell us about sort of reading with Louis Gossett for that originally, and, and doing a film like that. That movie, I think, touched the heart of so many men. Mm -hmm. 
Men come up to me and say, that was the first time I ever cried in a movie. Yeah. Well, it was a sad <laughs> film. He's <laughs> supposed to cry with wonderful actors. Mm -hmm. But it hit on a theme that when you're dealing with football, right. which is sport, happy, go out there and yeah, get it. Sure. And a death of, by cancer. Um, Billy D. Williams did an incredible job. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the cast was just magnificent. Mm -hmm. I had read for the part with a uh, magnificent, magnificent right. actor, Lou Gossett. Yes. <laughs> Lou Gossett was to play the role that Billy D. Williams played. Right. So you're saying, well, what happened? Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was a group of actors here in, in Hollywood who had all come out from New York and they all knew each other. Sure. Um, one was, was, was my first husband, Don Mitchell from Ironside and, sure. and Delville Martin, Raymond St. Jacques. And on Sundays, sure. on Sundays, we knew where they were going to be. Right. They were going to be on the basketball court. Right. I mean, like, exactly. on really the basketball right, right, court. Right, right, right. So it got to the point that folks would come and watch the, the black actors play bas basketball. Right, right, <laughs> it was just, right. and the wives would be out there, and sometimes right. you'd bring the kids. Well, the week after the auditions with Lou Gossett, mm -hmm. I got the role. Wow. I got the role. I got sure. the role of, you know, I got that role. And, um, this particular weekend when they're playing basketball, mm -hmm. it wasn't good for, for Lou, because mm -hmm. Lou got hurt. Right. And Lou physically sure. got Injured. hurt. Sure. So I get a call from my agent, mm -hmm. and he explains to me that Lou won't be doing the part, and right. uh, uh, they would like to know if you would come in and read with the male actors. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Why is it Lou doing the part? He's, 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 he's been injured. He's hurt. He, he can't do the part. Can't play the football player. Right. So I go and I start reading with the different actors. Right. And they were all excellent. Sure. They were well, excellent. Sure. But Billy had a little something, something, sure. something going on. I've there. heard that rumor. <laughs> he had a something, something, something. Sure. It was, it, and he was just, he was just a very, very good actor. Sure. And they're both still, their names are still out there. Lou Gossett. Sure. Absolutely. Billy D. Williams, they were just both excellent. Um, they had some good choices with the men, other men who came too, who to were reading. Sure. So that's, that's how that happened. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to what? talk us about uh, your favorite leading man, Mr. Kurt Flood. Oh, yeah. He was my, he is my favorite leading man. That's my husband. My husband was, my husband is deceased. I'm the widow of Major League Baseball All-Star, two World Series rings, seven consecutive gold gloves. He was also the captain of his team, first black man to be the captain for four years in a row. Uh, did I say eight? Did I say seven? Yes, you did. Oh, right. He's part of that first generation after uh, Jackie Robinson. Uh, he was with the St. Louis Cardinals for 12 years. Yeah. Wow. 12 years he was with the St. Louis Cardinals with some incredible other players with Bob Gibson mm -hmm. and Lou Brock. And it was just an incredible magic moment in the world of sports when they started bringing the black athletes into mm -hmm. the game, the American game. Because it's the American game. Right, right. <laughs> it's the American game. So um, Kurt signed with the Cardinals in 1957. Mm -hmm. And he went off to um, 
I'm sorry, siding with, with the Cincinnati Reds right, okay. in 1957, and he went off to uh, play minor league. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's born and raised in California. Right. He's going to Carolina League. Mm -hmm. Carolina's in the South, in the deep, deep South. south. Right. And we're talking At that time. 50s. Right. And we saw what Jackie was going through. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the minor leagues, it's even worse. Right. Yeah. Um, he knows he's going to be, gets off the plane, I said, gets off the train, I'm sorry, right. no, gets off the plane, and he sees these two fountains, and one says white and one says black, and he's like, there's one seven up and one's Coca-Cola. Right. Sure. <laughs> sure. He, wow. he said, oh, he, he stops and oh, don't, don't be stupid, don't right. be stupid, you know what it is, you know what it is. Um, and he takes a taxi, but he had to wait at the train station for a black taxi because you weren't allowed to ride in the white taxis because mm -hmm. you could not have a Caucasian man Driving, driving you around. <laughs> no, right. they didn't do that. And so he goes in and presents himself to the hotel and the hotel looks at him and says, uh, you, are you with the team, huh? And he says, yeah, yeah. I'm, and they said, <laughs> he, he blows a whistle and this man comes and take, he says, you have to come go with me, and takes him out the back door of the hotel to where the black taxis are, mm -hmm. and then they send him to a private home, mm -hmm. and they all call the Ma Feller's home because that's where the black players had to stay. They mm -hmm. could not stay with the, um, with the team. Right, wow. Couldn't stay with the team, couldn't eat with the team. <laughs> all they could do, this is my favorite, they couldn't use the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. Really? They could not use the club house. They had to dress at Ma Fellas, and the black taxis would come up. There might be four or five guys staying in the one house, and the black taxis would be out front, and they'd come marching out of the front door in their uniform. Right. Right. And oh lordy, if they had to play a doubleheader, guess what they had to do? Change, I don't know where. Where the hell were they gonna change? Right. There was nowhere to change. They had to sit there in their soaking wet uniforms mm. while the hours went by for the double header to the next game. To the next game and wow. then go out and play in the South mm. in your wet uniform while the other guys could go into the clubhouse, take a shower, do whatever they wanted to do, eat some snacks or whatever. And then Kurt said, then I would have to walk out to center field in the South where they're already calling me the N-word and, right. and calling me alligator meat wow. and <laughs> just racist, racist terms you don't even hear anymore. They're so awful. So he said, and I have to walk out to center field and turn my back on all of that noise and all of that hate, always wondering, is someone going to throw a can of beer, right. a can of Coke, a bottle at me, so trying to concentrate on the game and watch out that your head isn't knocked off mm -hmm. is kind of difficult to do. Right. But guess what? He did it. Mm -hmm. And he won every stack. He, he was topped every stack in the Carolina League. Wow. And he was the VIP because he was, <laughs> he, he won the best player award for the whole league. So there's a big dinner. Mm -hmm. So he's sitting in the back of the bus. He had to sit in the back of the bus because if the police saw him sitting any other way, they'd stop right. the bus and put him in the back of the bus. Right. <laughs> so he's right. sitting back there in the back. 
and they get to the hotel and he's all excited, I'm gonna get my award. Right. And they, the guy stops him at the door. You can't come in here. Right. No, no color, it's allowed. Right. And he's looking at his coach and the coach says, oh, oh coach, you just go sit in the bus, we'll, we'll, we'll get okay. your award. Right. No, you. I'll get, you'll get the award. Right. He sits there in the bus during the ceremony. during the during the dinner during the ceremony during the presentation of the the, the the award and then finally before it was all over a furniture maker one of the biggest furniture makers because that's where they grow all the timber right. knocked on the door and said Kurt I came to get you uh, Berkovich called me and said, and I told him what was happening. He said to go get you. Berkovich was a man in San Francisco, in San Francisco, Oakland area, who had right. a major furniture store. Hmm. And Kurt used to work for him. Right. Well, so, so he's he friends with the guy who has the makes all the furniture. Right. So he takes him and starts walking in, and they're ready to stop him. And then they see who he is, because right. have the town right. works for him. Right. So he has. <laughs> so he let him go him. in, and he got his award. Right. <laughs> I mean, just some crazy, stu crazy stuff. Um, this is my other favorite one of just how extreme the racism was on the black guys who were playing. At one stadium, they had built, you know what corrugated steel is? It's like, it's got the little things right. and then oh, it's yeah. steel. Yes, right. There was a window that was by the, at the clubhouse. Right. Window you could look into the clubhouse. So they put this corrugated lean-to steel piece of thing up for the black players who were now coming to be outside of the clubhouse, but they could look in the window. They could not stand up. And right. if you're playing in the summertime and it's steel, right. it's like you're in an oven. Wow. So <laughs> it was a double header. So he did, did get to go and cut out of his uniform and get a new uniform. He put another right. uniform on. And he threw his um, wet uniform into the window, the clubhouse window. And the guys start cursing at him and yelling at him, and then the man went and got a long stick, like they would pick up paper with the nail. Right. Took this thing, got it, and threw it in a bag. And there were two, one bag for the black, him, the black player, right. and the bag for the other guys who were getting their stuff done right there. Right. <laughs> Put his uniform in a black taxi and mm. took it to the colored cleaners. Oh my gosh, talking about really keeping it separate and not equal. He wow. took it to the cleaners. Wow. So while he's sitting there with no clothes on, not just right. his underwear, waiting for his uniform to come from the black cleaners, right. the game starts. Mm. They start the game without him. Wow. So he could hear people calling his name. Where's the, well, the, the n-word name sure, and right, the, where is he? Did, he, did you get rid of him and blah 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 so finally his uniform comes he puts it on and he goes out there and he said they did start throwing stuff mm, they were tough. throwing the cans they were throwing the this and wow. then somebody kind of calmed him down and he had to go stand with his back to all to all those folks mm. it, it went on like that it went on like that it, a, a lot finally for the Cardinals. Right. <laughs> there was a doubleheader, and him, Bob Gibson and him, we were of course still in their soaking wet uniforms, and it was now, they had already played both games, and they're now walking across the parking lots to get to the black taxis right. because they can't come into the stadium. They can't come in. Right. So, so right. that means that people are bothering them constantly. Right. Even going to there, yeah. to and leave. To, yeah. 
So they have to walk, and they, they say they usually would just get and step together and just like, literally walk, march, right. not walk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so he right. says, uh, big limousine pulls up, and they can see it's uh, Mr. Um, Bush, mm. the owner. Right. And he stops, stops the... Um, the limo. He had a black chauffeur he had for about 15 years. Mm. And they waved at the chauffeur. And uh, Bush says, what are you guys doing out here in your uniforms? Mm. He said, and, uh, uh, why are you out here? Why don't you, you better go get on that bus. And Bob says, we're not allowed in the clubhouse. He said, what do you mean you're not allowed in the clubhouse? He says, we can't go in the clubhouse. He says, no, we can't go in the clubhouse, and we, we're going over here, we, our taxis are here, and we're just gonna go get our taxis and go to, uh, he says, well, well, why don't you just let me take you, I can take you on over to the hotel. He says, we're not allowed to stay in the hotel. Right. He says, what do you mean you're not? This man who owns the team, right. owns the beer company, right. had no idea that yeah. they were living in separate quarters, right. eating separately, couldn't use the clubhouse, had to live at some house and change their clothes, and he didn't, yeah, did not know, right. was not aware at all. Right. And um, so he said, okay, okay, all right, all right, all right, and then he said he drove off, and they went on to the taxi mm -hmm. and went to Ma Feller's. <laughs> About 11 o'clock that night, his black chauffeur mm -hmm. comes knocking on the door and waking him up. And he says, get your stuff, uh, you, you guys are moving. Right. It was about maybe four or five, maybe five or six of them, mm -hmm. five or six of them. And he said, you, you guys are moving. And he tells the people they're, they're, they're gonna be leaving. And they were like, well, where are we going? Where are we supposed to? I'm taking you to the hotel. Mm -hmm. He said, we can't stay there. He said, Mr. Bush bought it. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Is that, they did that in Asian, um, <laughs> rich Asians, that was how yes. the scene began. He bought the hotel wow. so they could stay at the hotel because mm. he wanted to know where his boys were. He had no idea that they were living like that. <laughs> that they were living, kind of uh, right. So they check into the hotel and they now have a room and Bob and Kurt are right. roommates, sure. just the two of them. Right. And we can go downstairs yeah. and eat. Right. So they go downstairs to eat and they have another section, a separate section. Right. Sure. For, for these black players. Right. Carved down. <laughs> and um, now the players weren't always from the same team. Mm, okay. It could be different teams, members from okay. different teams living okay. sure. in the same Mothfella house. Right. So that was, the, that was breakfast. When they came back at dinner time, guess yeah. what they had done? They had built a petition around right. the area for the black yeah, players right. so, right. so that Even no one could see them. Wow. So that's, that was just how sure. deep that stuff was. So nobody could right. see them. Wow. So um, that's how they were able to then start living, but they would be on another floor, not the same floor, and all that kind of stuff. So sure. it was uh, very interesting. And during the, when they were at, during the World Series, it became so hostile um, against the black players from the other side, the other team. Mm -hmm. Each one was assigned a police officer wow. who wore plain clothes. Right. who protected them, and the black players' wives also had a police person that they didn't right. even know they had a police person following them and keeping an eye on them right. because they right. thought it would upset them too much. Hmm. So that's how... how, how it was entrenched. 
and the fact that they could then actually just continue to break records and play and right. and continue to just be the best of the best. Right. Um, I know that when Kirk decided that he was going to challenge mm -hmm. the, the reserve class right. because the he 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 was captain of the team. This is in 1968, 69, mm -hmm. and um, he had two World Series rings. And that year, he all—that's the year he won his seventh consecutive Gold Glove. Mm -hmm. That means you're the best in your position. You are the mm -hmm. best. You're the best. And they say we're going to trade you. Wow. And he was. His thoughts were. Uh, uh, I mean, my whole life is here. I've been right. here for 13, no 12 years. I, yeah. So he decided not to go. He was the first athlete who ever said, I'm not going to be traded. I'm not going. Right. And they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. But he started that whole process and went all the way to the Supreme Court. Right. And... The night of the vote, the, no, the night before the morning vote, one of the Supreme Court justices, a clerk, called the union, called Major League Baseball Players Union, and told them this. Um, he's going to abstain because he can't vote because there's a conflict of interest. And they were like, well, what conflict of interest? He's been sitting in on everything. He's been right. there every day. He's the aware. trial's going on, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. They said, well, he just realized today that he owns stock mm. in Anheuser-Busch. Wow. So, <laughs> I just always thought that was just so, he thought, right. the Supreme Court justice thought that they only own the stadium. They did not own the team. team right. They'd only owned the team for about a century. Right, right. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. Sure, right. Long enough to be aware. Uh, and maybe he thought they just owned the horses, you know, the Clydesdale. Right, sure. right, right. I always thought that was so bizarre. Hmm. So bizarre. So he abstained. Right. And, but the uh, act still passed. Say it again. The act still passed. No. The Act. No, 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 that's okay, different. Sure. That's okay, different. Okay. That's different. Okay. okay, that's that's different. He lost the case. Hmm. The only person who came to testify for Kurt was Jackie Robinson, mm. player. The only right, player right. who came into the courtroom and testified was, was uh, Jackie Robinson. Right. And it, what he said and what he did was just absolutely magnificent. The only person who came to testify against Kurt was Joe Garagiola. Mm. Joe right. Garagiola. Joe Garagiola, who's the only one who got Jackie Robinson to actually fight on the field, or ready to fight on the field. Uh, and it was Joe Garagiola who was the one who campaigned right. to walk off the field if Jackie Robinson came right. on the field. Right. That guy. Right. Yeah. Okay. Want to make sure you knew who that, that mm -hmm. guy was. <laughs> so, um, Kurt, the, the act you're speaking of, right. first let me just say this. The antitrust laws right. in the United States of America that all companies have to abide by, guess who doesn't? Uh, Anheuser-Busch. No. Just guess who does? It's an institution. It's so the American Major, Major, Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball okay. to wow. this day does not have to. It doesn't apply to them. Wow. There's only one part of that that does apply to them. And it's because of the Curt Flood Act, the Congressional Act, that bears the name of an athlete, 
and the athlete's number. It's called Bill Number 21, the Kirk Flood Act, that changed and they had to apply to interstate uh, commerce in regards to the players. Mm, okay. The players, everything else is still the same. They do not, doesn't apply to Major League Baseball. The only thing is the players. They have to uh, operate under those, those same guidelines as everyone else. So um, he changed the way business is done in all disciplines of sports. Right, all the all, all of them, all of the sports. Um, he did that and it changed the game. Right, it changed it. it. They said it was going to kill the game, but it made it more competitive. Right. Because now you could be, it wasn't up to the person who you worked for to tell you who you were going to work for next. Got it. Right. Right. Which is a big difference. Right, right. And you understood and knew what your monies and your salaries were going to be. Um, it, it, it changed everything. It really, really did. And it changed Kurt's life completely. Um, he, had, he had to excel. He exiled, him. he exiled himself from this country. Right. He right. went to Mallorca, Spain. He lived there for a good five-something years because they were going to kill him. He was getting death threats right, everywhere. Just, it was just, they were going to kill him. They'd already killed Martin Luther King. Right. <laughs> they'd killed Kennedy. Yeah. They, they, they were like, bang, bang, you're dead. Right. Bang, bang, you're dead. And it wasn't a... Uh, Very serious threat. Sometimes they did it in broad daylight. Right. <laughs> right. They, they did it in broad daylight. But he is the reason why we have free agency today. Right. Um, that was the translation. Right, right, absolutely. One of the last things I want to touch on is uh, the importance of education. And sort of your whole career has really been symbolic of that. Breaking down the walls, this story that we talked about with Kurt of really literally not. You know how I barriers. met Kurt? How? Okay, you'll like this story. I'm going to tell it real quick. Do you remember a game called The Date, a show called The Dating, Dating Game? Yes. You remember were that? First Black yeah, I was the first black female on right. the dating game when it was the night, when it was the afternoon show. Right. I was also the first, first female on the nighttime show when it went to right. prime time right. and night. Okay. All right, it's prime time and it's going to be the nighttime show. They said, you want to come and do it? I said, well, yeah, sure, I'll come and do it. Right. Okay. <sighs> One of the bachelors was Willie Mays. Wow. Now, once you do the show, you can advertise the show. Right. So we had already done the show, and they were advertising the show, and it was on Thanksgiving night. So everybody's going to watch Willie Mays on right. the dating game, sure. their primetime premiere nighttime right. show. Right. So guess who was watching? Kurt Flood. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Flood. He, he Mr. Flood, was watching. Yeah. I mean, he was literally watching. The next day, he calls ABC and wants to get that girl's number. I think her name is Judy. Uh, who's on the dating game, can, can, how can I get her number? I told him, we are the network. You have to call the production company. And he says, well, how do I find out who the production? She said, just a moment. She gave him the name of the production company, whichever the name was that produces. Um, so he calls them and they were like, are you crazy? We can't give you numbers. Right. Call her agent. Well, how do I get her agent? Call the union. What's the union? So he calls, he finds out what the union is. He calls the union, and the union tells him the same thing. Call her agent. Who's her agent? 
they tell you her agent's William Morris agent. See, right. is that is that her agent? When he said the woman, it was like a pause. Right. No, yeah. William Morris died many years sure. ago. Right. It's an agent too. Wow. But if you call there, they'll they'll let they'll 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 know who who her agent right. is. So he calls, and Cy Marsh actually takes the call from Kurt Flood because he was a baseball fan. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so yeah. he takes the call, and. He thinks, Cy thinks this is a great idea. Mm -hmm. So he, he did not give him my home number, right. but he gave him a public number, right. my mom's boutique. Okay. So he calls the boutique and asks for me, and my mom answered the phone, and she says, oh, Judy's at home. She's not here right now. He says, well, Cy Marsh told me to call. He says, oh, well, let me give you the number, because that's my agent. So she thinks it's, it's, it's about okay. work, you know? So the show went the on in days. Thanksgiving. Yes. He called me from Thanksgiving to the next World Series wow. because my first date with Kurt Flood right. was the World Series at right. Dodger Stadium. Right. And him and my later. dad had become really good buddies because right. uh, he would call and talk to my dad. Because right. I don't know you. I'm like... Right. 19, 20 years old, right. I don't know who you are. Right. And my dad one day said, you're just being rude. He's a fine young man. He's like a Jackie Robinson. You just need to go out with him. Just don't go on a date with him. I said, okay, daddy. So when he called and I talked to him, I didn't just give the phone to my dad. And I said, okay, I'll go out with you. He said, okay, he said, okay, okay, okay. I said, but wherever we go, it has to be a lot of people. And we need a chaperone because I don't know you. He said, okay, I'm going to call you right back. So when he called back, that's when he said, will Dodger Stadium do for the people? Right. <laughs> that's a lot of people. That's a lot. And he said, how about my dad, his dad, yeah. and my aunt, and your mother and father the as the chaperones? Right. And I was like, okay. That's a day. He did it. He pulled it off. <laughs> but yeah. my dad never missed a day of work at Douglas Aircraft. Oh, baby, I'd love to go, but I mean, it's a daytime game. I can't go. Yeah. My mom... Do we sit in the sun? <laughs> exactly. So everybody started bowing out. So we went, and it was his dad and his aunt, and that was my first date with, wow. with uh, Mr. Mann. And after the game, we dropped his dad off and dropped his aunt off and came back to my mom's house and had raided right the refrigerator and sat there and talked, and he wanted to know all about my union. Right. That's what he wanted. Well, what do they do? Right. You, do you have a, you have a, your, you have your own PR person? Right. It's not like the shows. Right. I said the show will have the PR person also, right. but we have our own individual PR per persons. I was amazed at what they did not have. But they start playing when they're 17 and 18, and they go through this, I call it brainwashing. Right, right, and then right. back in the they day, advantage. yeah, advantage. like don't talk to any any other player. Don't ever tell them what you earn. Right, so keep it. Now they publish it on big headlines. Right, so everybody knows. <laughs> so and so is making ninety million dollars a year. Everybody knows. <laughs> just signed a twenty year contract. Well, he's already thirty. How long are you gonna think the man's gonna play? I'm just yeah, kidding. Sure. <laughs> well, this has been lovely. Um, I just want to say that um, it's such a. Pleasure. I want to say something. Go ahead. My kids did this for me. Mm -hmm. They now have a new title for me. And what is that? It's called Judy the First. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, okay, what is that? What, is, what is that? 
He said, Mommy, you were the first black villainess on TV and the first black family of drama was Ruby Dee and Glenn Turman. I said, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. And, Mommy, you were the first black lawyer on TV. Right. And, Mommy, you were the first, first person to have a black congressional film. Right. Brian, Brian Song. Yes. And mommy, you had a second congressional film, mm -hmm. and that was um, Cotton Comes Cotton to Harlem. Right. And Bernie. mommy, Cotton Comes to Harlem was the first blockbuster film and ushered in the black That's film cool. renaissance of the That's 70s. Cool. Right. That's cool. And there was a whole list, there was, there's more. There was a whole list, but yeah, I didn't know. So I, cool. You know how you don't put stuff together? Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and my awesome. daughter's an actress. Sure. Yes. And my other daughter's an attorney. And they're both Howard graduates. Yeah. And I brainwashed them with education. Education. Some more education and, and more. some more education. Exactly. And my daughter, who's the actress, she also has a master's degree. Um, and I was happy they decided they wanted to go to a historical black college. Right. Because here in Los Angeles, you can just put blindfolds on, throw a rock, and you're right. going to hit a university, right. a college, a junior right. college. Right. They're, they're everywhere here in Southern California, which I'm very proud of. Yeah. Um, and I'm very proud of my daughters. Wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. a great story. I um... Oh, I left my husband out. I did. Yeah. How did we do that? <laughs> my first husband, sure. Don Mitchell. Right. Of Ironside, right, right, actor, the first mm -hmm. man on TV to legally carry a gun when he became a detective. Uh, <laughs> I could not just leave sure. my whole husband. Okay, sure. no, we were married for a long sure. time. Yes yes. yes, yes, yes. This has been wonderful. Um, you've been here with us on Film and Medicine, and I feel like your entire career has been such a series of firsts. But more importantly, that you've really done amazing work as you continue to do to educate us about the importance of our history and really oh, yeah. realizing that we need to continue to educate ourselves more and more about everything that oh, we've absolutely. done and what we've overcome. So thank you so much. Thank it's you so much, young man. Yeah, with, no, with, you're just a little genius. Sure, I know sure. that. You were that little kid yeah. in, in school who was, had his hand up all the time. I know, <laughs> I know, weren't you? No, <laughs> you no, were, no, I hit yes, the back. You were. <laughs> yes, you were. I didn't want to show off. How many degrees do you <laughs> have? Three. <laughs> Oh, really? That's it. But I know we'll now be at the moment. Most folks so are happy to get them. one. <laughs> I've got to stop. Keep going. Sure. Keep going. Keep yeah. going. You got more yeah, good stuff out of sure. it. Thank but you. Thank you for thank having you. me. It's been a pleasure. It's been Thanks such so much. a pleasure. Sure. Thank you so yes. much. Thanks indeed. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the city of angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.